Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, we're in week four of this series called Done With That. And if this is your first weekend with us, you're kind of jumping onto a moving train. We're really talking about how do you escape the struggle with what Bob Merritt, who wrote this book, Done With That, calls your signature sin. We've all got a signature sin. It's not to single you out. We all have one. Uh, Maybe for you it's overeating. Maybe for you it's overspending. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's anger, losing your temper. Maybe it's your words. We've all got a signature sin. And last week, Bob talked with us about how miserable it is to live in the middle. When you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm all for God, but I don't want to give up my signature sin, the middle is miserable. And I want to talk here on week four about this tension that you're probably experiencing if you're really journeying through this series with us. And it's this, you get motivated about your signature sin or whatever it is that God has showed you, you want to be done with that. You get motivated and you start to make a little bit of progress. And then if you're anything like me, you stumble, you fail, you have a setback. And there's this really, really natural tendency when you Really try to break a habit and then you stumble to give up, to throw in the towel, to call it quits. And really today, I want to coach you from the word of God to say don't quit in your struggle against sin. Don't quit in that thing that it might seem like it's hopeless, you might feel powerless against it, but don't give up. In fact, I want you to imagine yourself as a boxer. I don't know if you've seen any of the Rocky movies, there's like 300 of them. But the newer Rocky movies are called Creed. And this is Creed. Uh, He is the son of one of Rocky Balboa's uh, all-time nemesis, Apollo Creed. This is his son. And just like Rocky, once Rocky starts to coach him, he goes through this usual hero journey that every great story has. And it's this. They've got potential, but they've got obstacles they have to overcome. And these boxing movies are so great because literally you see the obstacles. And I just want you to think, in your struggle against anger, or in your struggle against resentment, in your struggle against lust or overspending or whatever it is in your life, have you taken some blows? Are you feeling the pain? Maybe you uh, thought about not coming to church or not watching online today because you really stepped out to defeat that sin, and instead it delivered a knockout punch to you, and you're face down on the mat, and you're like, why do I even try? If you're miserable, if you're stuck, I want to encourage you today. I want to kind of coach you like Rocky Balboa is doing here. Now, I'm not going to do a Rocky impression. I'll leave the impressions to Michael Jr. and to Ron Merrill. They're both pretty good at them. I'm not going to do a Rocky impression, but my heart today is to be a spiritual coach to you and to say, don't give up in your struggle. These setbacks, the blows that you take to the face, the time that you find yourself face down on the mat, they are an inevitable part of the journey of a champion. They're an inevitable part of your journey as you overcome that sin. So question, if I could tell you today how to not give up 
when you've been trying but you're knocked down? Would you want to know how? That's what we're going to learn from the Word of God today. And I want to take you into the definitive part of God's Word where God speaks to you about your struggle with sin, and that is the book of Romans, at the very heart of it, Romans 6, 7, and 8. If you're taking notes or if you want to snap a picture with your phone, as you grow as a Christian, it's good to mark down. Whenever I'm struggling with sin, whenever I'm discouraged with sin, go to Romans 6, 7, and 8. Those three chapters will be your compass. And here's what chapter 7, verse 21 says. I have discovered this principle in my life. That when I want to do what's right, eventually, inevitably, I stumble and I end up doing what's wrong. Can anyone else relate to that? All the honest people put our hands up. I can relate to that. I've experienced that. And you know what I love about this passage of scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, the perfect word of God. God chose that Paul the apostle would write these words. Paul the Apostle is one of the all-time greats in the spiritual hall of fame. I mean, if you were to say who are like the top 10 Christians of all time, he's probably in the top two or three. He wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, and yet he has this same struggle that I have, that your elders have, that every pastor you know has. He continues and he says this, I love God's law with all my heart. So Paul's saying, like, there's, I mean, in my heart, I love what God says. When God says, don't do that and do this, that's what I want for my life. I know that's the path that leads to freedom. I know that's what's best for me. That's what's best for the people around me. But here's the tension. There's another power at work within me. And it is like there's a war going on in my mind because while part of me wants to do what God says, this other power it makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment, and I want you to understand that here's one of the superhero Christians, and he says, I love God, but there's still sin in me. Six reasons to not quit in your struggle against sin. The very first one, your struggle is normal. In fact, your struggle is universal. So Satan deals in shame. And Satan would love for you to feel like your struggle with body image or your struggle with a screen or your struggle with spending. Satan would love for you to feel like you're the only person in the world who has that struggle and shame on you and you're such a terrible person. But the reality is we all have these struggles. Your struggle is normal. What would that mean? More than 51% of people struggle. Actually, your struggle is universal, meaning literally every person has struggles just like your struggles. And whether it's Moses or David or Peter or Paul the Apostle, all of us have this struggle with sin. Jesus is the only person who never sinned. So your struggle is not just normal, it's universal. And that's part of getting out from under it is realizing you're not a weirdo, you're not more broken than normal. The struggle you're dealing with is very normal and it exhibits in different ways in all of our lives. But chances are, whatever your struggle is, it's probably one of the top 10 or the top 20 that we all have. Lust, greed, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness, alcoholism, substance abuse, screen addiction, body image issues. Like there's about 10 or 20 things, we all have them. 
Meaning of the thousands of people in this movement, one out of 10 has the same struggle you have. You're not weird. You're not broken. It's universal. And that's an encouragement to you as you decide to not give up in this struggle. Let's continue in the passage. Paul says this, oh, what a miserable person I am. And we can feel that way when we really decide, like, I'm going to go at it with sin. Like, there's this one sin in my life. I've just been allowing it, and God is moving in my heart. I'm ready to be done with that. And you start to go to battle with that thing, it's going to hit back. It's going to punch you in the stomach. It's going to knock you down, and you're going to feel miserable. And you're going to be like, is it worth it? And I just want to encourage you, that's a good feeling. (laughs) I know that sounds like a boxing coach, right? Like, that's a good feeling. That means you're putting up a fight. That means you're not laying down on the mat and just saying, well, I'll just let sin rule my life. You're miserable because you're putting up the fight. And then Paul says this, when I'm in this misery, I'm trying to overcome sin, but I can't. Who will free me? I mean, who could possibly set me free from this life that is dominated by sin? And wherever sin goes, death follows. Sin can lead to physical death. If you're an alcoholic, it can literally take your life. Eating disorders can take people's lives. Sin can lead to physical death, but sin will always lead to some kind of death. Maybe the death of your finances or the death of a relationship or the death of your dreams, or the death of your capacity, you being all that you could be, sin will always lead to death. Who's going to set you free from this? How can you win this inner war with sin? Here's the answer, verse 25. Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can I get an amen? Now, some of us, we're saying amen with some real soul because we have experienced this. We have areas in our life where we were powerless to say no to it. And now, through Jesus, we're able to say no to it 99 times out of 100. We're not perfect, but we've experienced victory. Others of you, you're reading it and you're like, is it really that simple? It is that simple in that this is the only answer that actually works. Now, living it out is hard, like boxing, but victory is possible for you through Jesus. And notice this, it doesn't say... One of the answers is Jesus. The only answer, the only solution that really works for you to get victory over whatever besetting struggle, whatever entangling thing is hurting yourself and the people around you, the only answer that gives full deliverance is Jesus. And notice the last word of this sentence. The answer is in Jesus Christ. These words matter. Christ is the word for Messiah meaning that Jesus is the one true God. He died on the cross for your sins and mine to pay the penalty. He rose from the dead to prove that he can defeat death so you have eternal life in heaven, and he can defeat sin. He's the Messiah, but the most important word in this sentence is the word Lord. That word Lord in the original language means master. If you want to experience Jesus' freedom from sin, You have to make him not just your savior, but your master. Because sin is more powerful than I am. I can't defeat sin on my own. But Jesus is more powerful than sin. And so if I make Jesus my master, that is, I will do what you say, then he's able to defeat the sin 
that is within me. And that's the second encouragement for you to not give up in your struggle against sin. Your victory is in Christ. You do have the victory. On that first Easter Sunday morning when Jesus' tomb was empty, it declared to all the demons in the universe and all the angels and all of humanity that Jesus has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And so in one sense, it's a lot like the Rocky movies. Here's what I mean. Every single Rocky movie, you know at the beginning how it's going to end. And yet I watch them anyways because I love the emotion and the drama and the struggle. I know the good guy's going to win in the end, but it's a journey to get there. And that is a great metaphor for your time here on earth. When you get to heaven, when you breathe your final breath on earth, you're going to wake up in a glorified body that doesn't have a sin nature. And you're going to be in a place where there's no temptation. You will have eternal life and you'll have eternal freedom from sin. But until then, you're fighting your way to the victory that Jesus has already achieved. So on the one hand, knowing that it's already won in the end helps motivate you when you're tired. And on the other hand... It's this tension. Theologians call it an already not yet. So my youngest daughter, we adopted her from Haiti. And there were about two and a half years where she was already part of our family, but she was not yet home. And that's the same for you. You're already part of God's family, but you're not yet in heaven. You already have victory over sin, but you're not yet in a place where there's no temptation. You're still in a world where temptation's crawling everywhere you look. Temptation's going to be coming after you. But here's the thing. You can start to taste the victory now. And this happens in any hero movie, any kind of struggle against evil. It looks impossible. The hero's face is down on the mat, but they get up. And God wants you to keep getting up. And as they keep fighting for victory, there always comes a point in the story where they get in a few good blows and you can start to see, wow, Victory's possible. And if you'll keep following Jesus, if you'll keep being here every weekend, if you'll keep watching online every weekend, if you'll get in a small group, if you'll serve, you just keep being faithful, keep doing what Jesus says, you'll start to land some punches in a positive way. You'll start to have some little victories. And a thing that used to control you, you'll start to realize, wow, I still have a very magnetic draw to that old thing, but it doesn't own me like it used to. What does it taste like to have this foreshadowing taste of victory? It tastes like this, Romans 8 verse 1. So now, for you as a follower of Jesus, if you know you've called out to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, there is no condemnation. In other words, you are no longer condemned. What does that mean? You are no longer guilty of sin in the eyes of God. Your sin has been paid for. You're innocent. And as a result, you don't have to walk around under a cloud of shame or guilt. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know for sure that you belong to him? Verse 2 says this, because you belong to him. Every one of us who know, I've had that moment where I humbled myself before God. I called out to Jesus to be my savior. Because you belong to him, the power of his life-giving spirit has freed you from this other power of sin which leads to death. So there are two great powers that are in a battle for your soul. 
There's the power of God's spirit which gives life, literally and spiritually and relationally. And then there's the power of sin which brings death, literally, physically, spiritually, relationally. And these two are in a war over you. And if you weren't in Jesus, you would be powerless to say no to sin. But now that you've trusted in Jesus and you belong to him, you've got this other power. You've got God's power. And there is a tension. There is a battle between these two powers. This is the third reason to not give up in your struggle against sin. I know it might seem complicated. It might seem like there's a thousand choices. But really, there are just two great powers that are in a struggle for your life. And you really just have one choice. Which power are you going to surrender to? Which power are you going to give the control of your life, the keys of your life? You really just have this one choice. I'll give you a a physical illustration of this because another way to translate these words is there's the law of God and there's the law of sin and death. And in the physical world, we're all familiar with the law of gravity. From the time we're crawling around and we start to try to stand up and we topple over and we learn to walk, we're dealing with gravity. We all know the law of gravity. We're familiar with it. Now, when you're flying on an airplane like this, is gravity being suspended? And I'll just tell you right now so you don't embarrass yourself. The answer is no. Gravity is not being suspended or you'd float inside the airplane like astronauts do. So if the law of gravity is still pulling down on the plane, how in the world is it rising above? And the answer is that there's another law that's also at work, the law of aerodynamics. And the law of aerodynamics means that if a wing is in the proper shape and if it moves with enough speed, it will create lift, and it can create so much lift that it can lift a giant plane full of people and cargo. So while that plane is flying, the law of gravity is still pulling down on it, but the law of aerodynamics is competing and it's rising above. This is a great picture for your life as a follower of Jesus because now that you're a Christian, it doesn't mean the gravity of temptation and sin go away and you just float through life. The gravity of sin will be pulling down on you until you get to heaven, but there's a greater law. There's a power. This jet wouldn't fly without these really powerful jet engines which move it so that it can experience the law of aerodynamics. And that's what you now have in Jesus. When you walk with him, when you follow him, when you do what you're doing right now, that you gathered in church, or you're making it a point to be online, and you're saying, I want to do what God says. What's happening? The wind is passing over your wings, and it's lifting you up above the power of gravity. Now, this is what God wants for your Christian life, and this is what God doesn't want. Okay, but this is where we can land if we're not intentional. Uh, in the southwest, in the desert, there are these airplane boneyards or graveyards. And they've got all these old airplanes that have been stripped of the engines and they're sitting out there in the desert. And this plane cannot fly. It is earthbound because it doesn't have the engines on it. This is not what God wants for you in your Christian life. Uh, he doesn't want you, after you trust in Jesus, to be living under the control, the gravity of the same sins that used to control you before you were a follower of Jesus. So let's look at these two side by side. And if you can bear with me on the metaphor, the analogy, I just want to ask you, 
which one has been your life lately? It's not that you'll never touch down and bounce in a sin. It's not that you'll never be free from the gravitational draw or temptation to sin. But which is defining your life day in, day out, as the weeks add up and the months add up and the years add up? Is your life a life of flying in the new life with a few touchdowns here and there, but you always take back off? Or is it a life where you've just given up to some sin and you're grounded? Before Jesus, sin defined us. But now, just like a a Rocky boxing movie, we're going to get knocked down but we get back up, and in the end, victory defines us. God says, you get to control, you get to decide if you're airborne or if you're earthbound. And that's in Romans 8, verse 6. Listen to this. So letting or allowing your sinful nature to control your mind, that'll make you earthbound. That will lead to death. And the key word in this verse is that word letting or allowing. It'd be very much like if you imagine being at your home or your apartment and you hear a knock on the front door. And you go to the front door and the deadbolt is closed and the door is locked and you look through the little hole and you look out and you decide, am I going to let this person in or am I going to leave the door locked? And you have a choice. And what God says here is, Every time sin knocks on the door, you have a choice. Am I going to let it in? And if I let it in, I'm letting it have a little bit of control over my mind, which will lead to death in a relationship or in my body or in my finances somewhere. On the other hand, the Holy Spirit is always knocking on the door as well. Now, his knock is quieter in my experience. The knock of sin is a lot louder. Like, oh, there it is. Holy Spirit is a very soft knock, but he's just as persistent. And in the same way, you have the choice. Okay, the Holy Spirit's saying, no, no, don't do that. Do this instead. And you look out and you see, oh, that's the Spirit of God. Are you going to turn the deadbolt? Are you going to open the door? Are you going to let the Holy Spirit in? Are you going to say, God, I want your Spirit to control my mind? Because God, I know that other thing, it feels good for a moment, but then internally, I'm not going to have peace. Internally, I'm, I'm going to feel gross, I'm going to feel dead, I'm going to feel yucky, but, but God, help me to leave the door locked to sin and open to your spirit. And the point of this verse is not just a one-time failure, but what is your pattern? Which one out of a hundred times do you let in? And the goal is that every day as we follow Jesus through earth, there'd be more of locking out the old sinful thoughts and more of letting in the spirit's thoughts. It's not a perfect pass or fail, but it's a pattern. Which one is there more of in your life? And whichever one you allow in, you then have given that force control over you. So um, the power of life through the spirit, the power of death through sin, they're both stronger than you are. But you get to pick which one you're going to let in. Uh, In Bob Merritt's book, Done With That, he covers so many of our universal struggles with lust, with greed, with anger, with spending. On page 131 of his book, he tells the story of Sarah, a high school student and then a college student. And and Sarah was a follower of Jesus. She loved God. She wanted to do the right things. But there is such a lie in our culture right now for all people, but especially for young women. The lie of our culture is that your value is your external beauty. 
how attractive you are, how sexy you are. That is a lie. That is not your value. That is not your identity. That is not what makes you worthwhile or lovable. What makes you worthwhile and lovable is that you're made in the image of God and that you're a daughter of the king. And he loves you because of who you are, no matter what you look like on the outside. But the lie of our culture so many times says you've got to be skinnier, you've got to be prettier, you've got to dance a certain way, you've got to look a certain way. And Sarah fell into that lie, not because she's a terrible person, but because like all of us, she has a universal struggle. And over the months and weeks and years as she made decisions about what she would eat and when she would exercise, her body image became really her idol, the thing that she looked to for her affirmation, her identity, her value, and that led her into the pattern of anorexia, not eating enough, and of bulimia, eating and you know, purging so that your body doesn't digest it. This went on for about four years, and it's uh, chronicled really well in the book done with that. And about four years in, Sarah, she was literally starting to die. Her body was you know, showing signs that she wouldn't be able to reproduce, and that her body didn't have enough calories in it. Doctors were talking to her. Her family was talking to her. But like all of us, no one could change her other than herself. And there was this moment in her life when she had a, a breakdown, which led to a breakthrough, and she realized, God, I've been making my body an idol. And even though my motives were kind of innocent to start with, I've made my acceptance through my looks an idol rather than finding my acceptance in you. And for Sarah, it took three years of Christian counseling and all sorts of friends and family around her to help her redefine her thoughts about herself because it's the thoughts that you allow in the door that lead you to either sin or to being spirit-led. Now, I know that's a very common struggle in our time, but maybe your struggle is spending or maybe your struggle is something on a screen that you just keep being drawn back to. Sarah's favorite verse is Psalm 62, verse 5, my soul find rest in God alone. Sarah is now happily married and has kiddos. And she would tell you, she'd be the first to tell you, she still struggles with the gravity, the pull, to try to control how she looks in a way that, um, you know, would be unhealthy for her body. But God has given her the path to victory. It wasn't without a fight. But as she fought, she found victory. And the same can be true for you if you'll say, my soul, find your rest in God. I don't need rest from alcohol or a substance. I don't need rest from uh, the good feeling I get when I eat too much or when I drink too much or when I click on that. My rest comes from God. And I'm going to keep fighting to find everything I need in him. And I'm going to gather around me the right community. We've got pastors here. We've got groups to help you with any kind of struggle that you have so you can find that freedom in God. Reason number four to not give up in your struggle against sin is this. When you feel hopeless, and Sarah described that. She sure felt hopeless for a while. I've felt hopeless at times with different struggles in my life. When you feel hopeless, you might be in the ditch of perfectionism. Now, here's what I mean by that. Many of us, uh, based on either our personality or the way we were taught about God growing up, we have this idea that if I'm a good Christian, I never sin. And then when we sin, it just devastates us because our standard is unrealistic. Now, we should strive to not sin, don't get me wrong, but don't have such a perfectionistic standard 
that anytime you mess up, it just completely derails you. Uh, to uh, illustrate this, let's talk about NCAA basketball for a moment. And I'm sorry, I know this is a painful topic for many of us. Uh, my men's March Madness bracket just got obliterated this last week. I mean, all of us who love Purdue are grieving. I actually had Arizona going all the way, and if you pay attention, you know they got, they got trounced this last week. So, But here's something that I've noticed when I watch NCAA basketball, and I love college basketball because they're just playing all out. It's like they are playing with everything they've got. I love the hustle. I love the energy. I love the unpredictability. And as a result of all those factors, if you watch a full game and you count the number of times that guys fall down, it's actually quite a few times. You'd be surprised. They fall because they're running so hard. They fall because they're striving. And I was thinking the other day, you know, it's really interesting versus the Winter Olympics that when these guys fall, the announcer doesn't go, oh, he just fell down. That's it. Get him off the court. Because it's not figure skating, right? In figure skating, if you fall down, it's like, whoa, end of the world. Basketball or most other sports, you fall down, not a big deal. You just get back up and you keep playing. It really doesn't matter if you fell. What matters is the score at the end of the game. I think a lot of us live the Christian life as if it were figure skating. And anytime we fall down, we just think, oh, that's it. I'm a zero out of 10. That's the pit of perfectionism that I'm talking about. That you think, man, just because I fell once, why do I even try? And it's Satan who wants you to think, yeah, don't get up. Don't even bother getting up. And it's God who whispers to you like a coach, just get back up. Who cares that you fell? That doesn't define the scoreboard. That doesn't define victory or loss at the end of the game. But if you stay down, that will. When you fall down, just get back up. In these NCAA games, a lot of times the, the teams, have, as I've been watching the falls because of studying this, it's like a lot of times that's the team that wins in the end because they're hustling so hard. So when you fall down, don't stay down. Get back up. Christian life is not figure skating. Two ditches that we can fall into as we start to struggle against sin. Uh, for those of us, I mean, Sarah was a perfectionist in that story about the eating disorder. I relate to being kind of a perfectionist, I can easily fall into that ditch. Trying my hardest, I have one fall, and it's like, oh, man, I'm not good enough. God just wants you to get back out of the ditch and get back on the road and get moving along God's path. Now, others of you, based on your personality and upbringing and view of God, your ditch might be the other one. That you're like, you know, ongoing, unrepentant, reckless sin, just kind of like, whatever, I live with it. God still loves me. That is also a ditch on the other side of the road. God doesn't want you in either of those. He wants you on the path. And by the way, he doesn't just want you sitting on the path. He wants you moving. Your, your best way to avoid these pitfalls is to be moving, to be following Jesus, to be gathering like you're doing right now, to be in a small group, to be serving with your gifts. Figure out what God made you to do in life and run after that. And the more you run after what he's created you to do, you'll find that you're falling less often. That's the fifth reason to not give up if your sin has knocked you back down. It's not about never stumbling. Now, don't get me wrong, never stumbling would be great, but I've known a lot of Christians, and I grew up with it, where when that's the whole focus, 
um, you become a God to yourself. Your own holiness and your own perfection becomes your focus rather than Jesus being the focus. It's not about never stumbling, but it's about getting up when you do and moving forward, pursuing Jesus, following him, keep chasing after him, run after him. And if you stumble, we all do. Just get back up and keep running after him. People who get the victory, like Sarah with her eating disorder, they are very intentional about what thoughts they allow into their mind. So when you fall down, be intentional. What thoughts do you let in your mind? If you're a perfectionist, you might need to memorize Romans 8 verse 1 so that every time you fall down, you can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I can get back up and I can keep following Jesus. While we will be perfect in heaven, until we get to heaven, Jesus is the only perfect one. So our aim shouldn't be our own perfection but our direction. Are you following after Jesus? You might not be sinless in this life. Again, if you can, be good for you. You might not be sinless in this life, but you can always be making progress in this life. You know, as you read through scripture, you'll find that the assumption is not that you can be perfect. The assumption is that you should be growing. 1 John 1 verse 8 puts it this way. If we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So here we are in week four of a series about sin, fun stuff, right? And if you're sitting here and you've still kind of in your spirit got your arms crossed, and you're like, yeah, there's really nothing I need to work on, guess what? According to 1 John 1 verse 8, you can work on lying to yourself. (laughs) We all still sin. We will. Now, this doesn't mean we make light of sin. It doesn't mean we don't take sin seriously, but we will sin according to the word of God. Here's the context of that verse. 1 John 1 verse 5 says, here's the message. Here's the good news that we've heard about Jesus and that we declare to you. God is light. And just like the sun, its light generates life on earth. We would not have life without the sun's light. It's the same spiritually with God in the universe. In him, there is no darkness. He's the perfect one. He's the sinless one. Now, did you know this? If you do any mountain climbing or hiking here in the northern hemisphere, especially as you go further north, that mountains don't get even sunlight because of the way they're positioned on the globe. If they're up north, a south-facing mountain slope will get a lot of sunlight. A north-facing mountain slope will not. It'll actually be in the shadow of the south-facing slope. There's more sun on one side than the other. And as a result, if you go up into those kind of mountains, you'll find this pattern that the side that has the light has more life. Uh, Here's one example of that. On the left, those mountains are facing the south, and so you see all those trees. And in those trees, there's all kinds of life. You've got raccoons and squirrels and bears and all kinds of life in that side of the mountain because it gets the light. The north-facing slope has a lot less life because it has less light. Now, here's God's whole point in your struggle against sin. He says, walk in the light so that your life can be full of life. Don't live in the shadows. You might stumble into the shadows, but don't live there. Don't abide there. Don't walk in the shadows or things will die inside you and around you. Did you know that actually the brand North Face, this is just me being a nerd, I just have to drop this in there, is actually named after this uh, natural 
uh, law of the world in the northern hemisphere. That the north face of any mountain will be colder, will be darker, there will be less life, it'll be the harder side of the mountain to climb. And so that's why North Face says, you know, our jackets and fleeces, they're the ones you want for the hard side of the mountain. God beckons us over to the south side of the mountain. He says this in verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. So I say, hey, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christian, but I get drunk every weekend or I have this thing with lust or spending or whatever else and I just, I do it all the time and I don't even put up a fight against it. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet you're walking in the darkness, not stumbling into the darkness, but you just live there. It's just like, yeah, I don't even put up a fight anymore, then guess what? You're also lying to yourself. So the Christian who says, I never sin, is lying to themselves. And the Christian who's in the ditch of reckless sin, but says everything's fine with God, they're also fooling themselves. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light. So this is what God wants for you. Walk in the light. Does that mean you never cross into a shadow? Does that mean that you never stumble? I don't think so, because this very chapter said that we do. But what's your, what's your walk? What's the map of your last week, the map of your last month? As the hours and the days add up over your life, is your path in the light or is your path in the dark? If your path is in the light, as Jesus is in the light, notice this, you're going to have fellowship with one another. This is the, the, really the principle of a tribe. You need to have other Jesus followers in your inner circle. If all of your closest friends aren't following Jesus, guess what? They're all walking in the shadows, and they're going to say, hey, walk with us. you got to have some of your closest friends be followers of Jesus so that together you're walking the path in the light. And as we're in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us or cleanses us from all sin. So I've put up this picture of this hiker. And I just want you to kind of visualize which side of the mountain have you been walking on? Are you making an effort to walk in the light? Maybe you were making the effort, but you had one stumble, and so you just, you gave up. Don't give up. Get up. Keep walking in the light. There's thousands of us. We're walking with you. We'll cheer you on. We'll put an arm around you when you need it. We'll carry you if you need it, okay? That's what the body of Christ is for. Let the movement of the whole body help you. Have you seen these Canadian geese, how they fly in a V in the air? Did you know that if one goose is flying by itself, it can't go, it can't even go like one-fiftieth of the same distance. It has to have the flock. You've got to have other believers around you. First John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins. So the same chapter that said you're going to sin, but when you sin, confess your sin to God. Say, God, I, I did that thing again. This might be a struggle until the day I die, but God, I want 99 times out of 100 to be getting victory over this thing. God, with your power, I'd love 100 times out of 100. Maybe right now you're getting victory one time out of 100, but next week you get it two times out of 100, and the next week you get it three times out of 100, and a few years later, you're leading one of our small groups on that issue, and you're telling someone, hey, believe it or not, I haven't fallen into that thing for two years. You can do this if you'll confess your sins. He's faithful and he's just to forgive you your sins and to purify you from all unrighteousness. Reason number six to not give up, last one in your struggle against sin, God wants life for you. This struggle against sin, don't let shame and perfectionism drive you down into the dirt. Instead, let the spirit of God lift you up out of the dirt. 
God wants life for you. You can walk in the light through Jesus. This is possible. You're in a movement of people who are doing it. You can have victory over sin. Doesn't mean you'll never ever sin again, but the pattern of your life can be that you're walking in the light and that will give life to your inner peace, to your relationships, to your view of yourself, to your finances, to your entire being. I'd love to just pray that for you guys right now. Father, in this place, I am so grateful for every person who's seeking you. Lord, I'm so grateful to be part of a movement where I'm not following you on my own. There's so many others who are walking in the light. And it helps me, Lord. I get carried along by the current, the energy of the others. Lord, I pray right now for every person who's got a struggle, for every person who's being honest about their struggle. Jesus, we're reminded today that you are the answer. Victory is only found in you. And while we fix our sights on heaven, the ultimate victory in this life, we can start to taste victory as we choose what thoughts we will allow into the doorway of our mind. So Lord, over every struggle represented here, struggles with substances, struggles with identity, struggles with lusts, struggles with desires, Lord, we want your thoughts to shape our minds so that your life-giving spirit would shape our lives. God, we just come to you saying we want to walk in the light. It's for freedom that we've been set free. So Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you just encourage my brothers and sisters today? For any who've been knocked down on the mat, would you just lift them up? Would you just pat them on the back? Would you, back, would you encourage them? They can do this to not give up. Victory is ours through your, you, Jesus. We're gonna follow you all the way till we see you face to face. We pray in your name, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.